What defines a family? Is it the people we're related to? The people we live with? The people we laugh and dance with? Or the people who know us best? What if a family is more than that? More than just our parents and siblings? What if it's not just the bloodline that connects us to our past? by the community that helps shape our future. A family that values experiencing the wholeness only found through Jesus. A family that will be known for expressing love and truth, embodying radical hospitality, and a common vision to see the whole community be whole in Christ. comes from John Ortberg. Imagine that you uh, picked your car up at the shop after taking it in, having work on uh, just routine checkup, change the oil, all that stuff, routine maintenance, right? And the guy at the counter says, wow, you must be an automotive genius to take such good care of your car. It was, this was the easiest job we've ever done. Thank you for bringing it in. I just, we're going to give you a 10% discount because you just did such a great job with it. And you, you pull out of the lot, and you turn onto the main drag, and you get to the next major intersection, and you hit the brakes, and nothing happens. You roll through it, risking a, a T-bone, like you barely live, right? So you're going to whip that thing in a UE and turn around, and you go right back, like, what in the world? You said it was fine. Like, yeah, well, the brakes are out, actually. But we don't want to hurt your feelings, you know, and, and tell you that there was a problem with your car, because, you know, people get upset about that, and we wanted to tr make this a safe place for you. Hurt my feelings. I don't want to die. Like, come on, man. Right? Like, you, you, we would feel pretty bad about that. Or, or let's say you go to the doctor. And the doctor, you go for routine checkup, right? And he does all the things and, you know, okay, all the stuff. And you're like, hey, yeah, you're great, man. You've got the body of an Olympian. And you go home and you decide to clean upstairs and you grab the vacuum cleaner. And in the act of bringing it upstairs, and you got to sit, Right? And you go back to the doctor, and you're like, what are you, you told me I was fine. And the doctor's like, actually, you're one jelly donut away from a major heart attack, but I didn't want to hurt your feelings. Like, you need to tell me the truth when it comes to my health, man. We've got this weird relationship with the truth. Sometimes we really want to hear it. Other times, not so much. <laughs> what are we going to do? With that, now, certainly when it comes to our health, we want the truth. When it comes to our safety, we want the truth. And yet, other times we seem to be okay to let people totally lie to us because we don't want the relationship to get messed up. Winston Churchill wrote Men occasionally stumble on the truth, but most of them pick themselves up and hurry off as if nothing had happened. We're going to talk about that today. Thank you for being here. For those watching online, thanks for logging in. Appreciate you doing that. Uh, for you here in the room, grateful that you're here. Take a second online in the room. Doesn't matter. Fill out your connection card. That helps us care for you better. Uh, just a reminder, tonight from 5 to 7 p.m. is the reception uh, for John and Carolyn and their, and their family. want to encourage you to swing by. It's, it's an open house. Uh, you don't have to stay for the whole time, but just swing by and, and say hi and, and express your appreciation to them. Uh, we're going to do that in a more formal way here in a little while. I want you to open Open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 to 16 is our primary text today. We started a new series last week called Family Values. 
And, and th this series really came about because of our staff. In the process of, of generating our vision statement, the whole community, whole in Christ, back at the end of 2017, early 2018, we came up with these three things, but we just haven't talked about them very much. And in a recent staff meeting, they, they were just like, these are good. Like, you need to talk about this. This will help the body, you know, achieve the vision that we talk about so much. This, this benediction that we say together every week, and, and if you're new here, at the end of our service, we're going to say a benediction. And it's not weird. You didn't show up for a cult. Okay, relax. We just, it's a reminder every week of what we're about, what, what we, what we want to be here at Chapel Rock. And so, you know, they were like, you need to talk about this more. And so we adjust the preaching plan, and, and this is just a great example of our staff kind of leading from, from the second chair, and I'm grateful for that. Um, indeed, as part of this series and the church's visual identity going forward, uh, we've created some symbols that, that go along with this vision. You can see them actually in the book, the little booklet that we handed out as part of this series. So if you didn't grab that, you can get it. They're in the baskets as you go out. From You can, you can grab this devotional book, okay? It's, it's designed to go along with this. But we've created three symbols that, you can, that, that help us think through these values. And, and they're abbreviated here in this banner on the left, but this is kind of just a shrunk-down icon version of it. Here's the first one. This is the full thing. Experiencing the wholeness of Jesus. This is what we talked about last week, right? So you see the person, their face, right? But then you've got this circle kind of encompassing the mind because scientists still haven't figured that whole thing out. And then there's a heart inside it. So you've got the body and the mind and the heart, right? It's the whole person. So there's this idea of experiencing the wholeness of Jesus. Jesus puts the whole person back together. Now, next week on Mother's Day, we're going to talk about one of my mom's favorite things, radical hospitality, all right, and so we've got this picture to, um, to, to do this, right? You've got open hands, and at the base of it is an open door, right? This, you're, you're welcome to come in and be part of our life. You've got the sun shining and the clouds, and um, are those stars? Are they birds? Who knows? Uh, so anyway, it's, it's just this idea of that we're going to embrace um, the community, and we've got an opportunity to do that. One of my friends from Bible college, uh, a buddy named Kyle, is going to be here as a guest worship leader next week, so we have an opportunity as a church to show hospitality uh, to them, and, uh, and, and also to our moms on Mother's Day. Guys, do not forget. So that's next Sunday. Today's value is expressing love and truth, and we're representing that with this image here. You can see, right? So it's an open Bible that's kind of, sort of, in the shape of a heart, sort of, right? with the, a cross at the center of it and kind of a dialogue bubble. Like, you know, when you get a text message, dot, 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 you know, and if it's from your spouse and it takes a long time before the dots are filled in, it makes you worry, <laughs> right? Like, well, what did I, what's going on? Um, no, so it's this idea of, you know, we're going to express the truth in love. We're expressing love and truth to our neighbors and our friends and our family and our community. You're going to continue to see these in the future in print in the building. You just, you, you, so get used to that because it, it's kind of visual shorthand for these values that we've embraced. Now there's something else about this today's that I need to address. The reason that we're using the word expressing in the value statement is because doing this is more than just words. It's more than speech. Now here in the West, in Western culture in the 21st century, we've tended to separate those two things. We've tended, there's, there's been a, a kind of a, a bifurcation that's happened between words and actions, right? People will say, well, don't listen to what they say, look at what they do. That was not true in the world of the Bible, and it's certainly not true about God. So there's a significant cultural difference between 
the world of the first century and the world of the 21st century. They're, they're, they're different this way. In the Bible, and especially when you're talking about God, works were words, and words were works. They were just different expressions of the same thing. So in this value, when we're talking about expressing love and truth, we're stating it that way because it encompasses the totality of what you say and what you do, and they ought to be united together. There ought to be consistency between the two. All right? This, this, this way of expressing it encompasses everything. So where does that come from? Well, there are a lot of passages in the Bible where we get this idea but the primary one, the main one, is in Ephesians chapter 4. Let's look at that together. Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 11. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining, look at this language, to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. That's wholeness language. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, Jesus, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Now, this is one of those passages that it's really dangerous to, to try to just use in one single message because it's so densely packed with spiritual nutrients, it kind of deserves its own series, right? Like, there's so much there. Like, we could spend the next six hours unpacking this. I'm not going to do that. Relax. You'll beat the Baptist to the restaurant. But, um, we're, we're, you know, we could really just take forever to unpack this thing. We're, I'm going to run that risk, though, because of how important this is to implementing our family values. Because some of you come from families that lean real heavy toward truth and struggle to express love. And others of you come from families that re lean real heavy toward love and really struggle to speak the truth to one another. But what I want to tell you today is that the family of God, and for, for specifically for this church family, a big part of your journey toward wholeness and maturity in Christ is learning how to express love and truth in clear and complementary ways. That's our big idea this morning. That a big part of your journey toward wholeness and maturity in Christ is learning how to express love and truth in complementary ways. I told you at the beginning of the series, we want to try to give you tools to help realize in your own life and accomplish the church's vision the, the idea, I want you to experience the, the blessings of shalom and, and true wholeness that implementing these values will bring into your life. And so when it comes to expressing love and truth, I think your expression needs to have two qualities. I want to talk to you today about these two qualities that, that your expression of love and truth needs to have. Here's the first one. It needs to be clear. It needs to be clear. Later in the same chapter, Paul will write in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25, Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. All right? There's nothing ambiguous about that. There's the, you, when you read this, you know, you read this and you don't go, What on earth did he mean? Quit lying. <laughs> 
right? Speak the truth. Why? Because we're all part of the same body. We're united in Christ. It, it, this is totally unambiguous. He's very clear about this. Your expression of truth and your expression of love need to be clear. So what's that mean? Well, let me drill into that a little bit. I think it means two things. The first thing it means is that your truth, san- your truth stance on essential issues must be unambiguous. Your truth stance on essential issues must be unambiguous. Not confusing, it's very, very clear. Now, l- let me explain what I mean by this. Th- there are some matters that are not essential. We don't have to agree. We can disagree on this stuff. And you're like, what are you talking about? I would encourage you to go back and reread Romans 14. Paul talks about this. He says, there's, he calls them disputable matters. And if you want to, back on November 8th of 2020, I preached a sermon on this whole thing. It's called Broken Relationships, if you want to go back and, and listen to that or watch that online. It's just, there are some of these matters that are just not essential. We don't all have to agree to love each other and serve Jesus together. Um. I'm going to state this really strongly. I I believe it's true. Choosing not to be dogmatic on non-essential issues, on matters of opinion, is the most loving thing you can do 100% of the time. On these non-essential issues, and that takes some maturity and it takes some discernment, and we'll talk more about that in a little bit, but on these non-essential issues, choosing not to just always be drawn a line in the sand, no, don't you dare go further, on non-essential issues, when you decide, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to play that game. It's the most loving thing you can do 100% of the time. It, it takes some discernment to know, is this an essential issue? Is this not? Generally, I think there are fewer than we tend to think there are. There are a few things, though, that are essential, and the church needs to be completely unambiguous about those essential matters. Number one, there is a God. You must be un, you know, unambiguous about that. Number two, Jesus of Nazareth was the second person of the triune Godhead, God in human form, who came here and lived a perfect sinless life and died on the cross in your place for your sin, rose again on the third day so you could have eternal life. We absolutely cannot hedge on that. It's, it's, and if you don't believe that, you're not a Christian. You might admire Jesus, but if you don't accept that that's essential and it's true, you're not, rightly speaking, a Christian. Third, that faith in Jesus is the only way to gain eternal life, that a covenant relationship with him is the only way to live forever in glory. And there are a lot of people who want to claim that it's a way. No, Jesus said he's the way. That is an essential truth. We're not, we can't hedge on that. We've got to be unambiguous about that. And I would, I would add to that, that faith in Jesus should produce an increasing amount of righteousness and holiness and wholeness in your life. Jesus said you will know them by their fruit. There needs to be fruit. <laughs> These things are essential. I, we can't hedge on that, church. We've got to be completely clear and unambiguous about those things. And, he word, We have to express them in ways that communicate love to the people that we're in relationship with. The way that you express that truth has to communicate love. It has to be perceived as love to the person on the receiving end. That's the second part of clear expression, that your love for others must be perceived as such by them. I'm sure many of you are familiar with Dr. Gray Chapman's concept of the five love languages. 
right? That in short, we all have a language of love that we tend to communicate in and a language of love that we tend to want to receive affection, you know, kind of our, our, our sending language and receiving language, right? And, and very often what happens is two people with opposite languages marry each other. Um, kind of weird. I think it's, it's part of God's process to sanctify us, right? Like you got to die to yourself occasionally to, to make that work. Or you're born into a family where the languages are different. Some of you grew up in a family where everybody spoke one love language except you. And it was, it was tough, right? That This is this idea that we've got a, a way that we prefer to uh, communicate love and a way that we prefer to uh, receive love. What this value helps us do is understand that a clear expression of truth will do so in a way that's perceived as love by the recipient. And this is so vital for, for us growing in the faith and becoming mature. I think there are a couple of New Testament scriptures that, that speak to this very powerfully. Galatians chapter 5, verse 6, the second part of that verse, in Galatians 5, 6b, Paul writes, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Galatians 5, 6. Now, the word ex translated expressing itself is the Greek word energeo. It's where we get our word energy, right? The idea is that faith energizes the, or excuse me, that love energizes the expression of faith. That love is what provides impetus, it provides motivation, it provides power for the way that you live out your faith. And secondly, in 1 John chapter 3, the beloved apostle writes, Dear children, let us not love with words or speech. He's not saying don't use those things, he's saying don't only use those things. But with actions and in truth. Do you notice how he's connecting? Again, it's that, that difference between Western and Eastern thinking. He's connecting actions and words. They're the same thing, right? Our expression of truth needs to cohere with actions that our recipient would recognize as loving. Now, here's what that means on a practical level. That may mean that your words don't change, but your tone does. Your body language does. Debbie and I had a friend when we lived in Montana. His name's Dave Detola. I've kind of lost track of Dave. I don't think he's on social media. I'd love to reconnect with him. It's been a long time since we talked. And he taught me something that's so valuable, and I've struggled with it for the last 17 years to do it. He mastered it early on. And I think, looking back on it now, I think that he was younger then than I am now, but I thought he was just the most mature guy I've ever met in my life. I remember we sat at the kitchen table, and he, he'd, he'd done some church planting before, and I was, that's what I was doing at the time, and we were struggling and having a hard time, and, you know, it was just tough. And he had a hard truth to tell me. It was, it was going to require that I had to change. And instead of just going on blast mode, you know, he leaned in. He lowered his, he, he hunched. Dave was built, right? He was in the army. He was buff dude. He, lo, he hunched his shoulders. He leaned in. He lowered his voice. At one point, he even whispered. And he told me this hard thing that I did not want to hear. And y'all, that sunk down deep. Because he had a hard thing to say, but, but he softened his demeanor in such a way that it made it, it super acceptable to me in that moment. He didn't change the words at all. What he said was the truth straight up. Right? It was, he wasn't messing around. 
but he did it in a way that, commu- that I received as love, right? So we don't change the words. Sometimes it's just tone of voice. Sometimes it's the timing of it. Man, I've been guilty of this so many times, choosing the wrong time to say something. You know, <laughs> I, was, I confessed to the 915, I'll tell you too. Um, in 2020, right in the middle of the pandemic, um, Emma came home briefly and uh, wanted to go back to Joplin. And I thought that was a bad idea. I thought she should live at home and, and save up money and work here. And um, I expressed the wisdom of my accumulated years forcefully. And my child was cowering in the chair. Now, I later apologized, and we had dinner, and we fixed it. But y'all, I was just sending truth nukes from orbit to this kid. And I caused my own daughter, my firstborn, to curl up in a ball in the chair. I don't know if you can, if you, I can be quite forceful when I want to be. And I just let her have it. It was just, it was the wrong time. It was the wrong way. It did not, now what I said, I still maintain was the course of wisdom. I still maintain was good advice, but the way I gave it did not communicate love at all. And she forgave me. I apologized. I repented. We're we're good. Sometimes we, we need to embrace weakness and humility in that moment so that we don't overpower that person. Do you remember the old Looney Tunes cartoon where where Daffy is mistaken as a bunny rabbit by the abominable snowman? Remember this? He he says, I will name him George, and I will love him, and I will hug him, and I will pet him, and he proceeds to beat the ever-living chili out of him, right? Like, it's this, he's he's loving him to death, right? Do we ever do this, church? Do we ever do that? We just grab somebody, we're like, I'm loving you. (laughs) That is not the way of Jesus. (laughs) To grab somebody by the throat. I'm going to love you in Jesus' name, you know. It does not lead to wholeness. So our expression of love and truth needs to be clear expressing both clearly. It also needs to be complementary. We need to have a complimentary expression of love and truth. Now, I want to make sure you understand. I'm not talking about walking around handing out compliments. You can, if it's true. You can do that. Probably you'll have a lot more friends if you do. This is not a bad thing, but I've got something bigger in mind. Let's go back to our big idea, right? That a big part of your journey toward wholeness and maturity in Christ is learning how to express love and truth in clear and complimentary ways. What I'm saying is that love and truth need to complement each other. This is a further development of the idea I was just talking about, but what I want to do is I want to add in the element of maturity here because maturity is an essential part of this. Maturity is needed to do this well, and we grow into that by grace. We, we need to become mature. It, this, is, this is hard to do. It's hard to do well, I should add. And, and God's grace at work in us is what enables us to do it. Speaking the truth in love poorly is really easy. Right? It's super simple because we can just tell ourselves, I feel love for you. Right? And just let them have it. As long as we feel love, we're like, I did, I spoke the truth in love. No, you're a jerk. 
They didn't perceive it as love. You need to grow up a little bit. I need to grow up a little bit. We all do. Maturity is needed to do this well, and we grow into that by God's grace. Now, I want you to notice the connection that Paul makes in Ephesians 4 between spiritual maturity. He talks about attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Anybody in here feel like you, you walked in this morning having attained the whole measure of the fullness of Christ? Do not raise your hand right now. <laughs> you have nine people beat you in Jesus' name. Um, liar in church. See, you just messed up. We're, we're not there yet. I don't know that we ever will this side of glory. But that's the goal. That's the journey God has us on. We, this, is, this is this journey toward maturity. Uh, the spiritual maturity and the way it works itself out in our lives is by speaking the truth in love. Communicating love in a way that people understand and they recognize as love. Now you might notice that I inverted the order in the statement of the value from the way it's phrased in the text. Right? In the text it says speaking the truth in love and the value statement is expressing love and truth. Like why did you do that? It's because our culture is very different from first century culture. Right? In Paul's time there was a great cultural value on expressing the truth. You could literally make a career. If you were good at telling the truth in a way that could generate, you know, grab an audience, you could literally have a career as a public rhetorician, public speaker who told the truth. There was a massive cultural value on it. Today, things are different. There's not as much of a value on this. I think people still value those who speak the truth, but they do it because it's rare, not because we think it, as a culture it's important. Nearly everyone we know equivocates somehow, right? Maybe they're overbalanced on truth and underbalanced on love, or maybe they're overbalanced on love and underbalanced on truth. Consequently, I think the church has a golden opportunity to do this well, to show our world what... what because of, of what Jesus does in our life, what this can look like. And here's why we have this opportunity, because Jesus was awesome at it. Jesus was so good at this. Think about his ministry. The woman at the well. In John chapter 4, he meets this woman. The disciples are gone, sits down by the well. He's tired, he's thirsty. Long walk from Jerusalem. <laughs> and he asks her for a drink. Starts a conversation. And at one point, Jesus says, go call your husband and come back. And she says, I don't have a husband. He says, you're right. You've had five in the man you're with, and now it's yours. Okay. And she says, I perceive that you are a prophet. No kidding. And here's the thing. She doesn't just punch him. He spoke the truth, right? Like straight up on the rocks, in your face, Truth. She doesn't run away screaming. She doesn't hit him. The conversation continues. Jesus had a way of speaking sometimes very difficult truths, but still not sabotaging his efforts to love them. The woman caught in adultery. John 8. They bring Jesus this woman caught in the act. Wonder where the guy was. Takes two to tango. Didn't bring him. They bring the woman. The accuser and, and Jesus simply, you know, he says, let him who's without sin cast the first stone. And they all drop their rocks and walk away. Finally, he's left alone with that woman. And he said, does anyone still accuse you? She said, no one, sir. He said, neither do I. Go and leave your life of sin. Love and truth. The rich young ruler. 
comes to Jesus. It says, I wanted to engage with him about the life of discipleship. What's the most important commandment? He tells him. I've done all these since I was a boy. What do I need for eternal life? And Jesus tells him, go sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and then come follow me. Text says he went away sad because he had great wealth. Here's the cool thing about that. Church tradition tells us that that rich young ruler, and we don't know for this for certain. I love the way this story ends, and if it's not true, it ought to be. That's John Mark. That later, Paul says, bring him with you because he's helpful to me. That this rich young ruler may have been the young man in the garden that they grab and he spins out of his cloak and runs away in his underwear because he's ashamed to get caught with Jesus. He had a complicated relationship and Jesus just straight up tells him, this is what's in the way of you following me. And some of you came in here this morning and you've got something in the way between following Jesus and you. And, and maybe he's telling you this morning, like maybe he's using me to tell you, would you just let go of that? Jesus did this so well. How was he able to do that? He was the only truly whole person who ever lived. The only truly whole person. Now, here's the amazing thing. His spirit, if you're in Christ, that spirit is in you. The spirit that enabled Jesus to do that so perfectly lives inside you if you're a Christian. He is enabling you to do this. It's growing us in maturity enabled to be able to do this. So truly mature, truly whole Christians are not ones who are just on blast mode all the time sending truth nukes from orbit, right? That's not what it means to be whole. But they've learned how to express potentially difficult to accept truths in a loving way. At the same time, truly mature, truly whole Christians are not so gooey sticky with love that no one knows where they stand on a particular moral issue and they've learned to recognize that not every issue requires a particular moral stand. Some do, but not everyone. What I'm telling you is that when you lead with love and then speak the truth, you can make a huge difference in people's lives. Because Jesus did. That's what he did. So here's what this means for us as a church. This value is going to drive us to lovingly apply the truth of the Bible in a clear, we're not going to hedge on what sin is, we're going to talk about it and compassionate way. We're going to continue to extend grace. Right? We're going to intentionally help people take the next step in following Jesus within their current context. Do I wish those steps were bigger and faster? Yes. Am I going to make you feel bad because you're not able to take the step I can or your brother or sister can? No. It's, what's, what's the next step you need to take in following Jesus? We had a young man in our first service who decided that today he needed to be baptized. And he, he stepped out to do that. Maybe that's you, and in a little while, you're going to have an opportunity to do that. Maybe it's something else. See, this, this process, I think, will lead us to a greater place of wholeness, yes, but also of unity. See, the, the part of the, the complementary aspect of this expression is that unity becomes the product of that. Unity is proof that we've done this, and it's Jesus in us that enables it. A greater sense of unity in the church, I think, is, is proof that we're moving toward learning how to express love and truth. The simple fact is, this is really, really hard. It takes maturity to lean into this kind of unity 
that enables us to not let truth overwhelm love or love overwhelm truth. But when we get it right, oh man, it creates a deep sense of unity and togetherness, which in a world that's moving further away from its Judeo-Christian roots, I think is going to become more and more essential. This brings wholeness. We're transformed in the image of Christ. Christian psychologist Dr. Henry Cloud makes this statement that spiritual transformation requires grace plus truth plus time. This doesn't happen in an instant. And some of you might have been frustrated, like, I was baptized and I wasn't like immediately a super Christian. Yeah, that's not how this works. It, it takes time. It, it takes some, some both effort and intention on your part as well as being part of a, the broader congregation and, and you know, cultural context of the church. Every one of these values is tough, right? And, and we knew when we, when we set them out, you know, four years ago, we knew that, I don't know about you, I occasionally need something to kick me in the teeth. I need, I need something that's going to challenge me and stretch me because by nature, I don't want to do the hard thing. I don't wake up in the morning and go, what is the hardest thing I can do today? I'm going to do that. It's not my nature. Maybe it's not yours either. And so I need these things that kind of push on me that stress me. Wholeness is something we will wrestle with all our lives, right? Th that is something you will fight till the day you die. Okay, just gear up for the fight, right? Put your armor on, Ephesians 6. Be ready for that. Radical hospitality, I think it pushes most against some of our Western cultural values and, and the, the selfishness that tends to dominate our lives. We're going to talk about that next week. This one, <laughs> the challenge here is that it's really, really, really easy to do poorly, and really, really, really hard to do well. And so I guess my challenge for you today, church, is let's commit to doing this well in the coming days, to expressing love 